Good morning, everybody. My name's Carl and I'm one of the leaders, so if you're a visitor here, a very warm welcome uh, for me as well. We are going to have a little bit of drift back while people come in from the mass exodus that just took place, but that's cool. And uh, as Dan said earlier, you're very welcome here. And uh, if you want to pop out and get a cup of tea or anything like that, I won't feel aggrieved or offended that you're walking out while I'm speaking at all. I'll be absolutely cool about that. We do have a slot every week where we teach from the Bible. Um, if you're a visitor, that's our normative practice. We would worship a bit and we'd learn from the Bible and then we'd spend a bit of time together. Um, but the first two mornings coming back after Christmas, uh, we did think we'd focus on vision. And uh, last week, Dan spoke about getting our hearts right before God. And this week, uh, something a little bit different. Did just want to outline where we feel the church is going in 2018. Now, I don't know about you, uh, but meeting in a school like this and meaning we're shut down over Christmas uh, is, is uh, in one sense, quite sad because we would like to meet over Christmas. But in another sense, it's quite nice, actually, secretly. I mean, don't tell anyone I said that. To be getting up on Christmas morning and not having to dash out the door and de-stressing that whole thing because who knew that sometimes getting your family out to church on a Sunday could be stressful? And actually going full tilt into Christmas from work and having Christmas morning off and waking up thinking, I haven't got to get out, just shut the gates, it's fantastic, is quite nice. But there was a flip side. I do think many of us miss being together for those couple of weeks. And it was nice when we come back as a church family. There is something about that. And we, we have in the last few years, uh, what is it now, three years, four months, something like that, I don't know, um, we have come a long way, actually, from a handful of people to what we see now. It is a, a unique and special thing. There's uh, now, according to Karen, who is uh, not elastic with statistics, she is absolutely correct and uh, doesn't exaggerate anything, I can assure you. Being an evangelist, Karen, make sure that I never exaggerate anything, uh, my wife, uh, and administrator of the church. We have on our books now 170 adults uh, regularly attending, 75 kids. 75 kids. I mean, I, honestly, when I watch them all come out, I think it's about 325, because it's like an endless stream of children leaving. But as I put on uh, Facebook this morning, um, I am writing a new book on uh, how to grow your church quickly within nine months. Uh, we have got 10 babies due this year. Uh, that's chapter six. I haven't written the other chapters yet. But chapter six is how to grow your church very rapidly within nine months. And we have an astonishing... Ten babies on the way, unless the scans have gone wrong and there are a number of triplets joining the church. Um, that is quite a thing. And uh, when I sat down yesterday and thought about the church and where we've come, I thought, wow, it's quite astonishing, actually. Not just like how many of us are gathering now, but all the different types of people that are gathering now. It's so diverse the people that gather together. And I think the church, big picture church, like global church, is unique in this. 
Uh, we have all types of people at all kinds of ages and all sorts of stages now meeting in our church. In this church, in this family, and this is not an exhaustive list, we've got council workers, retailers, charity workers, stay-at-home parents, doctors, several doctors, builders, architects, IT people, teachers, teaching assistants, midday supervisors, cleaners, students, carpenters, nurses, receptionists, accountants, solicitors, entrepreneurs, barristers, childminders, project managers, carers, bike and car sales executives, fitness instructors, a health and safety expert, thankfully, police, engineers, mechanics, caterers, retired pastor, I could go on, ex-soldiers, rich people, people who are struggling, married, single, searching, widowers, young, old. That's amazing. I mean, where else in the world do people like that hang out together? Some of you are going to say, well, the karate club. But not like this. Not, not, not beyond a shared common interest. I mean, like this. Where else does a, an ex-Wantford chav like me get to hang out with council directors and doctors? I mean, the church is fascinating. Where else do people who are like a redneck builder like Mick get to, get to, get to hang out with someone like Tiny or Neville? It's, it's unique. It is a fascinating thing. And the reason it happens is because we've all experienced, majority of people here, there'll be some people here for which this is new information, but the majority of us here are here because we had the same encounter. And that bonds us together in an extremely unique way. We, no matter what your social status in the eyes of the world, how much cash you've got in your bank account, before God, it's a level playing field. And when we encounter Jesus, we're all born again into the family of God. We share a bond for eternity that is unshakable and absolutely unique, I think. I just looked at that list, and I know I haven't covered everyone, and I'm sorry if I missed a, an occupation out or a particular situation out, but I just thought, wow. That is quite something. And, and honestly, over the last few years, although we can occasionally get chipped up with each other and maybe fractious, uh, but not for long, uh, for the most part, it's been an utterly pleasurable experience getting to know everyone. I can't remember one difficult meeting in three and a half years. I think I'd remember it if we'd had one. I, I thought to myself yesterday, I, I'm actually coming to the conclusion that people actually like each other here. <laughs> Which again is quite unique. I mean, I've been in different clubs and societies in my quest to engage with the world and man alive, I mean, I know some church meetings can be dodgy, but you try going to a fishing club annual general meeting, that's terrible, you know what I mean? I mean, honestly, you just people love each other here. 
But then I started to think to myself, but why? You know, why would God, because I believe this is a sovereign work of God, why would God have gathered such a mix of people? Like, and, and then I was asking myself the question, why do you all come here? Why, why are you here? Now granted, as I remarked uh, to a couple of people this morning on the way in, we do have the largest flags of any church in Chesterfield, for which I am quite proud. We made sure of that as a defining feature of our church when we decided to plant it. And we said, no matter what happens, no matter how big we get, or small that we stay, we are going to have the biggest flags of any church in the town. And I know that's an attraction. And I know that we do have a splendid and fine selection of fruit teas after, for which you're all welcome to indulge for free. And where else can you get a free cup of Lapsane Souchon? In the whole of Testerfield. So that is a bit of a thing. And I thought, well, maybe people are coming because of that. And maybe that is true for one or two. One person did email me, actually, I said, who is not yet journeying with the Lord. And I said, what has attracted you to come to the church? And he actually said to me, where else in Chesterfield can I get a free brew on a Sunday morning? I thought, well, at least it serves that purpose. But I don't think that's why a majority of people who come here regularly come here. I think you come here for the same reason that I do, which is this. 28 years ago for me, I had a sudden and profound encounter with the man Jesus Christ. And it utterly changed everything. And I look around the room and I know many of your stories and I know that many of you are here because of that. Sometimes we cling on to going to church, if we're honest, through, by the skin of our teeth because life is a roller coaster and you have ups and you have downs and sometimes we have disappointments with people in relationship and sometimes I know that we can end up coming to church out of habit and sometimes we feel that we should because it's the right thing to do. But for the most part, we're here because we had an encounter with the gospel of Jesus Christ, which I believe, and it's worth reasserting this this morning, it is the truly, to me, the only life-transforming and destiny-changing message in the universe. And something happened to me 28 years ago, which I've never let go of, and no matter what seems to happen in life, keeps bubbling up and Karen and I were praying together this morning and and uh, about a whole bunch of stuff and and I found myself saying this to the Lord with Karen like I know sometimes we've journeyed closely with you and sometimes we haven't uh, in all our years of marriage 24 years in April 28 years together 28 years me following Jesus much longer for Karen and I I said to the Lord, I know that, but I'm, I, we know, both of us, that even when we've been close and even when we felt farther away, your hand has been on our lives and you've guided our path. And, and, and I had a deep sense of that this morning. And there are many of you here today who feel just exactly that. There were times when we've been close with the Lord and times when we've been far from him but we know that his hand has been upon our lives. I don't believe I'm in Chesterfield at this time by accident. I don't believe that I have my kids by accident. I don't believe I 
anything about our lives is an accident. I don't think this church was an accident. At the time, we thought maybe we just ate a lot of pasta together and it accidentally happened, but we know it was the hand of the Lord. We know that God has guided our lives. And Karen and I believe, as do the leaders of the church and many of us in the church here, that 2,000 years ago, God, who is love and peace and wholeness, sent his son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. And God, who is love and peace and wholeness, and completeness looked on the world and saw that we were getting ourselves in a bit of a state and sent his son Jesus who lived an amazing life and taught us a different way much of it contained in this God's holy precious word and he taught us a different way and he lived among us and hundreds of prophecies about the man Jesus were fulfilled the day he was born, lived and died and then the Bible tells us he rose again after three days and smashed to bits pain and destruction and death and offered all of those who put their trust and hope in him life and joy and peace and wholeness and completeness and, and an eternal destiny That means that if you have put your hope and your faith and your trust into the hands of God, no matter if you feel far from him or close to him this morning, you will be with him and with God in love and joy and peace and wholeness and completeness, hope everlasting for eternity. And it ain't going to be sitting on a cloud. It's going to be amazing. And that means that we don't just get to do this on Sunday. You get to see me forever. Ha <laughs> ha. But that is amazing. And that is why I am here. God told us not to worry about our lives. That he would come back. And that we should follow as best as we can what he says in that book. But until then he gave us a task. And you see it in Matthew 28, 18. And the task was this. And it's quite simple. The task was go. Go into the world. Tell people about me. Call them to follow me. Baptise them. And if you do that, I'm going to be with you till the very end of the age. And one, I'm going to come back and sort it all out. But in the meantime, you go. And so churches form. It's not buildings, is it? Or robes or processes. You can, you know, choose your poison in a sense. We're kind of like, I don't know, more informal. We're like pastors who wear clothes from Next. When there are people who <laughs> wear clothes from clerical vestment catalogues. And I don't really care. It's up to you. But actually what he did say was, be community. Be community, gather together in my name and make me known. And that is why I believe many of us are here. You've been touched by the love of Christ, lives have been transformed, you're facing heaven, and suddenly this weird, diverse mix of people who are all so incredibly different, when I look out over you, have been gathered here for such a time as this in Chesterfield.
as part of the wider church of Chesterfield, I will not let go of our claim of the biggest flags, but I don't claim that we're the best or the only church. We want to work collaboratively with all the great churches in the town who put Jesus first and love his word. That would be primary for us. We want to work across the town to reach the town and to go into Chesterfield and see lives repaired by the love and grace and hope of Jesus Christ. I believe that God has called us to build a church. I wrote a little list, actually, because I didn't want to miss anything. I believe this. God has called us to build a church where the poor are blessed. It's a primary thing. You take God's heart for the poor out of the Bible, you have a very thin book. If you take God's heart for the poor and the broken out of the Bible, you'd be about as thick as one of my thin paperbacks that I write from time to time. But God's word is stuff full of justice and hope and blessing the poor. Central to a, a kingdom church is a place where broken lives are healed up. People's eyes feel devastated, are healed up and restored and not just patched up, but dynamically transformed. I believe that this church has got a mandate on it to be a place where the lonely find community, where people find purpose and meaning in Christ. I believe that every single person on the planet has been made for a unique purpose. There are things that only you can do. There are things that you've been uniquely placed here to do. I believe that with all my heart. I'm straight out of the Bible in Ephesians. I think you are absolutely unique. I want this to be a church where people find that uniqueness and discover it and get empowered to get out there and live it. I want it to be a place where people encounter joy, where we can actually have a laugh. But not just on a shallow basis, there's a deep abiding joy that keeps bubbling up. It keeps welling up, even when people are feeling stuffed up and done in. I want this actually to be a place when people go to connect groups, or for those who don't come regularly, that's our midweek study groups and prayer groups, or when they come into this church, actually people start to experience joy. Because I don't know if you notice this, but the world is getting increasingly miserable. And I don't like it. That makes me miserable that the world is miserable. I want the world to be a place, I want this place to be a place where people discover joy. I don't mean walk in and become weird. I don't mean walk into the church and go, <laughs> I mean we do McKean. That's hilarious. I don't mean that. I mean that people have a deep and abiding joy and a sense of peace that keeps bubbling up. I want this church to be a place that's accepting. No matter what you look like. How much cash you ever haven't got. How smelly you are. How tough life is. What you look like. I, don't feel, I want anyone who comes into this church to feel utterly accepted and loved. We might have to navigate and negotiate things with people where lives are in a mess. But I do want people to feel accepted and loved. And God forgive us where we've not got that right. But I think it's so important to the Lord. I'd love it to be a place where all people discover their value in God. Where they find their unique role in life where the power of the Holy Spirit is flowing, where worship is passionate and heartfelt and without abandon before God, where we snatch people from the gates of hell, roll back the darkness and shine the light of Christ. That's what I want to see. There's enough darkness out there and I think some of it comes straight out of the pit of hell. And I love this to be a place where, and I say place metaphorically, I'm not talking about this school hall. I'm talking about the gathered community of God's people, wherever we find ourselves during the week, a place where light shines into darkness and people discover the transforming life of Jesus Christ. So as I prayed about it, and I emailed Dan and Andrew about this a few days ago, I thought, 
do you know what? I'm really, really feeling bubbling up. I want this to be a year. Redeemer King's year of living courageously for Christ. Like, full-on courageously. Not half-baked courage, but like full-on courageously for Christ. I think, you know what I'm like, I'm a bit of a dog with a bone when I get the bit between my teeth. And I think I might just keep mentioning it every week. I want it to be the year where we live courageously, where we do courageous things. There's this brilliant story in the Bible, right, where God's people have been enslaved It'd been an utter nightmare, and uh, and then they escaped. They did a runner. There's a story in a book called Exodus in the Bible, and they'd escaped slavery. They'd been wandering in the desert, and all kinds of horrible stuff had been happening. And there'd been times when they felt God was far away, and times when they felt God was really close. And then they get to the edge of a place called Canaan, and and God directs them there. And we can pick this up in. Uh, Numbers 13. I'm going to read this to you. I'm going to dart around a little bit, and then I've got just a few little points. But I think this is, this is both inspiring and terrifying. Uh, let, me, let me read this out. Uh, Moses, who is this incredible leader of God's people through the Exodus, sent them to explore Canaan, and he said, Go through the Negev and into the hill country. I, I've actually cycled through the Negev and the hill country. Ooh. And I'll tell you, it's horrible, uh, actually, when you're trying to cycle it. Uh, it's very hilly and very hot. But, on this occasion, it says, See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Uh, what kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are, are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some fruit of the land. It was a season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob towards Lebo Hamath. And they went up through the Negev and then they cut off a branch with a single cluster of grapes and they carried it on a pole between them along with some pomegranates and figs. And at the end of 40 days, it says, verse 15 of chapter 13, they returned from exploring. And they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran, where they reported to them and the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. And they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which he sent us and, and it flows with milk and honey. Here's the fruit. So far, so good. But the people who live here are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw the descendants, descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites living in the Gev. The Hittites, Jebusites and Amorites living in the hill country. And the Canaanites living near the sea along the Jordan. In other words, there's like nasty people there who are going to do them in. And then Caleb, who was one of the spies, silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land because we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, legendary giants and warriors. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we all looked the same to them. And Fear took hold of them. They looked at what was before them and fear took hold of them. 
easy for that to happen in any walk of life. Like you can perceive things as being like it's giant-like. It's too much from where we're standing now. How how are we going to do all these things that we want to do, or how am I going to accomplish things in my these stuff in my life that I really want to do? And so what you do is you think I'll just settle for the status quo. Oh, I'm not going to stick me out above the parapet. I'm not going to set foot into that because I'm just going to get beaten up. It'd be hard if I do that. Well, that'd be devastating. I'd rather that we got a little bit Caleb-like. See, I like Caleb. He's like, well, it looks a little bit tough. But let's have a go. I'm paraphrasing now. I'm reading into it. But I'm, I'm sensing he's a bit like, win, lose, or draw. It's going to be all right. God's with us. It's like me and Karen praying this morning. Like sometimes we've been far away and sometimes we've been close, but we know you guided us. Like let's at least have a go. And, and I love this about Caleb. Um, if you've got a Bible with you, maybe uh, let's uh, have a little flick to um, Joshua. Because you, you see, like, this is consistent Caleb characteristics. This is now, like, they've gone in and taken land. It's all been settled. And this is now further on. Uh, now, the people of Judah, this is chapter 14 of Joshua uh, in verse 6. Now, the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal. Joshua was the commander of the Lord's people. And Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kesanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the, the man of God at Kadash Barnea, about you and me? I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadash Barnea to explore the land. So he's now looking back to that moment that he was sent out. And he, Caleb was like, Let's do it. And everyone else was like, no, it's scary. So he's remembering. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever because you followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. I love the way he attributes it all to God. It wasn't because he didn't have sugar in his tea and had his oil bran. He said, the Lord has kept me alive another 45 years. My life's in God's hands. I love that. He kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here am I today, 85 years old. I'm still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. He might be deluded, but I love his art. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard that the Anakites were there and the cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out, just as he said. I, I love that. I love it. The Lord's kept me alive. I'm still annoying. And I'm still going after the land. I'm 85. You can imagine, can't you, on his Zimmer frame. <laughs> like, mate, I'm still as strong on his gov. Like, give me the hill country. Oh, give me that mountain. I'm not going to give in. I remembered what you said to me. I'm not giving in. And the beautiful thing about that is that God remembered his heart 
Of course, Joshua and Caleb, who had the courage to enter the promised land, saw it all fulfilled. But God actually said, those whose hearts melted in fear, I showed them all the miracles and everything, but now everything was in front of them, and you'd see my hand upon me, but because they didn't trust me, they won't enter the promised land. But Joshua and Caleb will, because they've got a different spirit. That can happen to churches. It can. I've seen it. I've seen it. You can see the hand of the Lord working among you. And we have seen some amazing things. And some amazing growth in just a short period of time. But then you come to the big stuff and it's like, ooh, it's giants. Don't like it. And I think God's still there and he still journeys with you. But you miss out on the real big stuff. Because you didn't have courage. And I love it. This year, as a church or ongoing, we had a little bit of give me this mountain spirit. If you're up for it. So just a couple of things I'm going to say that I really think we need. And, and if you're a visitor here, this, this is, you know, hopefully there might be some stuff that you find of interest, but I'm really talking to people who come regularly to the church on this particular point now, the first point. I think we need financial courage. I honestly do. Um, you'll know if you're regularly here, we never take up an offering. We don't want that to define us. We, it's over there, the, the, the box that we made and people give direct to the bank and on vision nights we let you know where we're up to and we just trust that you, you like being here and you know there are things we have to pay for and we all contribute to that as part of the family. But I think it's time to ramp up. We just launched a cap centre. Christians Against Poverty. Honestly, in three and a bit years, it's the best thing we've done. Honestly, it's the best thing we've done. Neville, personally being sacrificial, not going into the details, it's for him to share, but he's personally being sacrificial, Neville and Jackie, to enable this to happen. We're now contributing to CAP 600 quid a month. Why? We don't gain anything from it other than we're going to touch people's lives. CAP's an amazing project. For those of you who don't know about it, it's been recommended by Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert guy who's not a church guy, but he said, this service is the best one in the country for tackling right, debt. And people are getting in touch with us, absolutely free service, and they can get access to all kinds of help and support, and debts are cancelled. They get all the support they need, take all the stress of them, and debts are cancelled. Neville was saying to me at an elders meeting, on leaders meeting on Friday night, he said, they even come across a story where a woman was eating tissue paper because she had no food I want to help herself feel full. So she was eating tissue paper. In the 21st century in the United Kingdom, there were people in our town with no food in their cupboards. There are people who have been missold credit or people who have not had the financial wherewithal to resist the temptations or life's just been hard. There's been a whole set of circumstances thrust their way and they've got themselves into an absolutely horrific mess. And we're going to go after it. We're going to see people's lives patched up. It's going to be amazing. You're actually going to see lives transformed. And we're investing heavily into it. But Neville, you'll know Neville's a quiet, he's a quiet chap and he's a reasonable fellow and he's very thought through and he's a, a very high level health and safety expert and, and he's the kind of guy who's like, my conscience has stopped me taking too much risk because I do like a bit of risk. But even Neville in the elders meeting is like, one cap centre's not enough. We've got to get another one going before you need another 600 quid a month to get another one going because there's so many people out there we're going to reach. That's Neville. Well, what, like, I'm like, 
it was this was me. I'm like, well, let's just hold on a bit. You know, maybe that's a bit. Let's just get the projects off the ground first. But then I came out of that and I thought, no, Neville's right. Why wouldn't we go big? But it all costs money. Another thing we, we mentioned earlier, like the children's work, we'd our we started the service with maybe 75 kids here today. I think it's already grown to 132 because they are multiplying that fast. We've got 10 babies due. There are families joining our church all the time. We were chatting as leaders on Friday night, and one of the things I said was, look, in my experience, long in the tooth now of leading churches and pioneering churches, you water where God's at work. Where God's at work, you invest. Where it's obvious that God's doing something, you invest into that area. I think we've got to be serious about investing into our children's work. We talked about it, but I think we've got to do it this year. I think we need a children's worker this year. We don't need a youth worker yet because, like, we've got Gaz and Katie and there aren't enough of them. But not yet. But, like, 10 years' time, we're stuffed. We're going to have so many teenagers. Get ready. You know, like, we're going to have, like, we've got hundreds of teenagers in a number of years' time. But at the moment, it's the children's stuff. We need a children's worker. Why? Not just to, like, do stuff on a Sunday, but we should be taking assemblies and lessons and supporting young families and getting alongside where babies have just been born into families and all that chaotic, tough stuff at the beginning. Those of you who had babies, you know what it's like. I blotted some of that out of my mind for self-preservation tactics. But you know what it's like. I think we've got to, we've got to invest into that now. I don't think we've got to hold back. But, but it's going to take financial courage for the church, primarily, and for all of us. Now, 1 Corinthians 16 says, set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income and, and give. Now, I think it's over-shepherding and overstating to say all of that comes into the church. And I support a whole variety of things that I'm passionate about with my income. But I do give. If you're a regular person at the church and not yet giving, do think about it, because we, we want to go for it. Like we're very lean on our operational costs, but we want to invest into mission. Let's build our faith together for this. I think we need evangelistic courage this year as well. Um, that would be my second main point, and I'll try and do this quickly because of time. Um, but there are thousands and thousands of people in our town who don't yet know Jesus Christ, and I hate that. That robs my peace and robs my joy. I don't like it. I honestly didn't set up the church for the biggest flags and the Lapsang Souchon tea. Nice though it is. Actually, I wanted to plant a church because Chesterfield was significantly unreached. Great though a number of the other churches are who we feel very close with and love. There wasn't a vibrant church over this side of town. There's 100,000 people in Chesterfield. Maybe 1,000 plus people going to church, but not a lot. I think we should have 10% of this town at least going to churches. We need a whole bunch of churches like this over the town. So if I found out some young whippersnapper coming to Chesterfield with a gung-ho vision to plant a church, I'd cheer him on and give him some cash. We need loads of churches. We need loads of people doing good stuff and preaching the gospel. But I think for us this year, we've got to have evangelistic courage. If John 14, 6 is true, which says the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ, and therefore there are thousands of people who don't know Jesus. Hey, let me tell you something. We can put on Alpha. We can put on guest mornings. We can put on events. We can have the best volivants and the finest curry nights. We can do quiz nights. We can do women's events, men's events. We can go quad biking, shooting, crafting, scrapbooking, all in the name of Jesus. And none of it works unless you actually invite people. 
are not here to form a club. I like hanging out, but I didn't want to do this to form a club. It's not a club. This is the kingdom of God. And sometimes we can do club-like things. That's okay. It's nice to like each other and have movie nights and eat popcorn together. It's good. It's good to go to the cinema together. It's good to spend time. I'm not being facetious. I mean it. But dear God, let that not be it. Like if it is it, we might as well join a karate club and that's it. Actually, we're here to see lives dynamically transformed. And a couple of things jumped out at me over the last year. Michelle Leader and we took her kids round at Halloween doing treating. Not trick-or-treating, but treating. Knocking on people's doors. That's courageous. Giving them treats. I like that. Imagine if everyone was out doing that. Treating their neighbours and blessing people and building relationships. Joanne Bibby and Karen Northam with this idea of Easter egg gifts and door knocking and getting out there and all kinds of initiatives. I, I love it. When Karen emails me, she has to email me because I work in Manchester and Karen's at home. Don't think I don't talk to my wife other than by email. But when Karen emails me and says, this idea is just coming and this idea is coming, I'm like, God, you go for it, church. It's fantastic. I don't know the police ideas. I just like, how do we make it happen? I want to be overwhelmed this year by ideas for reaching people. I'd love every activity that we do to be communicating the love, joy, peace, and hope of Jesus. I would. Our men's stuff, our women's stuff, and Cap definitely will do that. They're like dogs with a bone that Jesus is the answer. Kids work, I'd love everything that we do to be about communicating Jesus Christ. Why? Because I, honestly, I think without Jesus, we're absolutely stuffed. I don't think you can live your life. You know, maybe have a little pension, take up golf and die. But I honestly think, without Jesus, you never get the fullness of life that is on offer. And you don't have an eternal destiny without him. You're lost. That's what my Bible tells me, and I've chosen to believe it. So I honestly believe, when we talked about why has God gathered this diverse group of people together, I, I have a privilege in my job of seeing a light come on in people's eyes and the love and joy and peace of Christ flood into people's lives on a weekly basis. I would love that for this church. But you've got to ask people and invite people. I want us as a leadership to make it as easy to invite people to things as possible and for you to go to people as easily as possible. Here's some things I've learned. Don't say people's no for them. Don't, don't do that. You know, if you've got an event coming up, like an alpha launch night, let's pick on that. Got an alpha launch night coming up. And I, honestly, I've, I've said, we're going next level with our next alpha launch night. We might even do a hot buffet. Like, honestly, I'm ramping it up. It's going to be big. And we have live music and a great speaker and stuff. But it's useless unless people invite people. But sometimes what we do is this. I think, shall I invite my neighbours who I've built a friendship with? Um, now, they'll probably say no and it'll, it'll wreck the relationship. No, it won't. Don't say people's no for them. Is invite them. Oh, that's what I'm going to do. Uh, and you can, there's different ways you can do it, you know, but I, you know, let's do this this month and then maybe next month let's go out for a curry or something. But uh, don't say people's no for them. And build your faith this year. Uh, many people never ever speak to their neighbours. So I always find that as a personal mission. Even, just because it makes life easier if you talk to your neighbours. You know, like the classic dispute over your hedge or something. It's far easier if you've had a little glass of Cabernet Sauvignon with them, I find. You know, just smooth things over. Uh, so I would say, uh, build your faith this year. Pray that you'd actually talk to your neighbours. Pray for an opportunity. Pray for them, pray for an opportunity, and then pray you'd meet them, and then hang out. 
and then invite them to something. If we truly believe that this is the best news in the universe, then let's do it. So the question is, when was the last time you actually did a go job? You know, you go, you go, go, go. When was the last time you did that? You go, go, go to your neighbours. When did you do that? And the third thing I'd want to say is personal courage. We were never meant to be settlers. We were never meant to be comfortable. Because this life isn't it. I think I instinctive. I'm, not, I'm trying not to moan. I'm not moaning. Honestly, hear my heart. We were never meant to be comfortable as followers of Jesus. We build comfort into our lives, but it was never meant to be the thing. Actually, we were meant to be pilgrims or settlers. We we're pioneers, not settlers. I don't mean uh, let's all move. We didn't, let's all move houseford in Chesterfield. <laughs> I'll go to Wharton. You go to Newbold. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking like in our hearts, we were never meant to settle. We were meant to be journeying towards heaven, living an adventure, being bold and going for it. I, I just, uh, while I was sitting at the table this morning, I was pondering on what I was going to say again and looking it through, and I just <laughs> came across these these verses. Like the the Paul uh, in Corinthians, Paul who wrote after the New Testament, you know. He, he is he's amazing. This, let's look at what he says. He said, uh, I, I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently. I've been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I think it's been a lot of danger. I've laboured and toiled. I've gone without sleep. I've gone without hunger and thirsted. I've gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Beside everything else, I've faced daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I don't feel weak? Who is led into sin and yet... I do not inwardly burn. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is to be praised, knows that I am not lying. If I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained, I'll go on to visions and revelations. I know a man in Christ. And so it goes on. My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in weakness, says the Lord. Therefore, I boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says, if I may boast in anything, I'll boast in Jesus. There's a man who's lived on the edge. Like it's all for Jesus. My life is all for Jesus. Shipwrecked, hungry, cold, imprisoned. But it's all for Jesus. And you know that I've finished now. But you know, I've said this before, and it's worth saying again, I think, in my own humble opinion, it's worth saying again. One day we will die. Fact. Not a very nice thing to say on a dedication morning. It's welcome to new long life into the world. Well, one day we will all die. Fact. But either this happens or this happens. Either this life is it and you die and you're snuffed out and you're forgotten. That's it, eventually forgotten. 
or there is an eternal destiny in front of all of us. And, and, I, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If, if, if eternity is like this incredibly long, like unfathomably long piece of rope that you can't see the end of because it's eternally long, our life is like a little pinprick on that rope by comparison. Not even that. It's like this minuscule little thing. Our lives compared to an eternity of Jesus is a minuscule little thing. It's tiny. Why do we focus so much attention on our pension, on our comfort, when actually eternity is stretching out in front of us? That's where our attention is, right? Surely, the one day we will die and kneel before Jesus and then we will be in front of him forever. And we'll all be together. Surprise! We'll say to each other, here I am. But it'll be amazing. But what I don't want for my own life is this, and you each have to come to your own conclusion on this. What I don't want for my own life is this, that I one day kneel in front of Jesus, and he looks at me and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, come in. There's your shed. I'm sure somebody will get mansions, but I'm predicting I'm going to get a shed next to a Brussels sprout patch because I hate them. He'll be like, I gave you a lot, Cole, but look what you did. Like you did a few things, but here's your shed in your Brussels sprout patch. Then I'll look over and there'll be Mick, because it's called him a redneck builder. who go, ha ha, look at this mansion with a swimming pool next to you. <laughs> That'll be every day for eternity. I'll look up and look at Mick's horizon pool. That's the, I know it's going to happen. Anyway, we'll, we'll be there, but the Lord will say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. Come in. Come into glory. But I know there's so much more I could have done. It'd be like, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I get a little bit of extra money? Or why didn't I talk to my neighbour? Why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that? I don't want that. I don't want, to, I don't want regret in my salvation, do you know what I mean? And I know you don't want that either, do you? None of us want that. If you're here this morning and you truly believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and he died and rose again for you and you're journeying with him, then let's at least max out on it. In whatever way you feel led. But let's at least do that.